When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Maybe it's just that you don't know how to use social courtesy. Oh, that's old-fashioned. Watch how Lizzie Post and Dan Post act as host and hostess. They know that courtesy means showing respect, thinking of the other person, real friendliness. Hello! And welcome to Awesome Etiquette. Where we explore modern etiquette through the lens of consideration, respect, and honesty. On today's show, we take your questions on cashing in a rain check, etiquette when it comes to masks and those who can't hear, what to do about someone using your reserved seats at a sporting event, and writing a thank you note to someone who passes on their book collection to you. For Awesome Etiquette Sustaining Members, our question of the week is about buying holiday gifts with employee store credit. Plus your most excellent feedback, etiquette salute, and a postscript on hosting holiday office parties. All that coming up. Awesome Etiquette comes to you from the studios of our home offices in Vermont and is proud to be produced by the Emily Post Institute. I'm Lizzie Post. And I'm Dan Post-Senning. Because I know it's actually in the rearview mirror now, but because we haven't had a chance to discuss it with our audience real quickly, did you have a nice Thanksgiving? <laughs> I did. It was really nice. Oh, good. I'm so glad you asked. It takes me back <laughs> to a very happy memory. I, I was a- already ready to talk about everything that's coming up and where we're going. And it's really <laughs> nice to reflect that that Thanksgiving weekend was. It was a real treat. And what about yourself? How was your Thanksgiving? It was good. I will say that we give out a particular piece of advice about being careful about changing traditions. And my little grouping fell prey to that advice not going that well this particular Thanksgiving. Uh (laughs) And I was the one who was griping. But it was our, our schedule completely changed. And like nobody had told me that the schedule for the day completely changed until like the night before. And that it it really did actually throw me off. And I will say, cuz, that I had such a beautiful meal. It was so great to spend time with my niece and nephew and just everybody in the house. And it was it was really, really nice. But I really miss the big family Thanksgiving, the one where all the relatives come from all over and there's like, you know, makeshift tables places because you just don't have a table big enough and everybody's Mm -hmm. all over the place. Like I, that's always been my favorite holiday. And I think I realized that that bigger family gathering is a part of why it's my favorite holiday. So I had a little bit of the pandemic blues this holiday. Um, But I, I, I got to comfort myself with an amazing porchetta and all all of these fabulous side dishes and and some pie and and that you know that worked the comfort eating worked <laughs> food and happiness do have a, a pretty immediate connection Exactly, exactly. But we know that in our families, we're already looking on to the the next holiday. And and Dan, you and I both celebrate Christmas. And you have a fun thing coming up this afternoon. Snap, snap, no rest for the weary. (laughs) 
our hosting continues, Pooja's parents, Alka and Kamal, will arrive this afternoon at some point. This is Friday. And we will head out to the daycares and gather up the girls and go to the local tree uh, Christmas tree farm. And we will cut a Christmas tree and bring it home and trim it. And the trimming of a Christmas tree is one of my absolute favorite yeah. things. <laughs> no, it is awesome. It is really, really awesome. What's tell tell everyone like one of your favorite ornaments, like the one that you kind of look for in the boxes, and you're like, oh no, we gotta gotta put this one up. Or when you come across it, it's like, oh yes, this ornament. Oh, Lizzie Post, you asked me the best question ever because I I could sit here and just imagine myself walking around the tree and talk. Oh, and this ornament was the one that my brother made in daycare. And oh, this is the one that Anisha gave me. And this is the one from that trip we took. Or, And it is it's those memories that are connected to each of those ornaments that are what's so much fun for me. And the, the decorating of the tree is this opportunity to sit there and open boxes with friends and family and talk about all those memories and share them and hopefully add a new one this year. You bring up a good point. I always loved it when a friend would join us for the tree trimming because it, it you really did get that chance to like share, you know, and in my family, whether it was a boyfriend who was joining or it was um, a friend who, you know, couldn't get home for the holidays and was going to yeah. spend them with us. It was really fun sharing that family history. And I wanted to take a second to share a little family tree trimming history um, with oh. our audience. I think I've shared this before and I don't I don't know if you and Pooj would want to do something like this with the girls, but when I was a kid, my mom made this giant well, it wasn't giant. It was probably like a foot, a foot, you know, but in each it direction. felt big to a kid. Felt big to a kid. Styrofoam star. And the, the, she bought all this sequins and, and the sequins had all different shapes and colors. I mean, it was really spectacular. Sometimes there were beads. And every time we did a good deed throughout the holiday season, we got Son to, of a gun. Got to, yeah, we got to kind of stack some of the sequins to make a little pretty sequins thing. And you put a little pin through the middle and the pin has, it's one of those sewing pins. That's like a, a hold it in place pin. So it's got the little knob on the mm-hmm. end. And it holds the sequins down into the star. And it's it's really easy to do. And by the end of the season, we would have this star that was just filled with sequins. And of course, you know, if we hadn't filled the whole thing, which it was hard to do, that star was big and you only have like 25 days, but it was, it was a big star and it, we would just then fill in all the, all the gaps, but it made for such a beautiful display at the top of the tree that really made you feel good about all the good deeds you had done. It was a really fun kind of non-food related, non-toy related reward system for us to mind our manners while we were in this kind of heightened state of excitement throughout from like Thanksgiving to Christmas. I thought it was the cutest idea. I'm hoping my family can can kind of get back into that idea as my niece and nephew get older. But I thought I'd share that that little that little Lizzie Post branch of the family. Okay. Our audience <laughs> could correct me if I'm wrong, but I am ninety nine point nine percent positive we have not heard that story before because really? I would remember I that is awesome. That. Oh, you should do it with the if I mean I shouldn't say you should, but if it if it tempts you, it's a really fun thing to do and it it, it does just kind of like brighten. I was actually thinking of doing one for just me to <laughs> encourage me to like get out and do some nice sweet things in the world and and for kids it can be anything. It can be like I really like how you said please to your sister 
why don't you put a sequence on the star? Oh. You know, or it could be, you know, I saw that you, you picked up all your toys after you were done playing with them. Like, let's put a sequence on the star. Like it's, you know, it can be kind of any kind of good, good practice. <laughs> the Christmas dork in me and the father of two <laughs> young girls in me loves this idea so much. You have no oh, idea. Good. Oh, I hope you guys do it. I hope you do it. Make me feel so, I just, I love, I love it. I love it. I thought it was so sweet. I thought it was so special. I was very sad when our star broke and then someone gifted my mom an angel and we started putting that at the top and I was always kind of like, oh. (laughs) Little bonus, you get a disco ball on the top of your tree. You do. It's like the prettiest thing. It's so gorgeous. And really, get like super varied sequins. It makes it so much fun. No, and, and, and it's that crafting part of the project would so appeal to Anisha at this point. And her <laughs> her, her, her organized mind that loves yeah. an advent calendar or a totally. schedule of any kind. Um, totally, totally. A reward system <laughs> with little gold stars, um, <laughs> sequins for an ornament, disco ball conclusion. <laughs> we have win, a win, win, win. <laughs> Very cool. Well... I'm definitely glad glad to have put a little inspiration for your your afternoon of tree decorating, and I hope it inspires some of our audience as well. Do you think that we should also inspire our audience with some answers to their questions? I think we should. Let's Let's do it. Do it. Awesome Etiquette is here to answer your questions. You can email them to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. You can also reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag Awesome Etiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. Get support from StoryWorth. There are some stories about your mom's life that you truly never get tired of hearing. From hilarious to heartfelt, tear-jerking to plot-twisting, mom's retelling of the events always brings a bit of joy. Just in time for Mother's Day, we here at Awesome Etiquette found the perfect gift that can capture all of your mom's stories for your family forever. It's called StoryWorth. StoryWorth helps you preserve precious memories and stories from your mom or a mother figure in your life for years to come. Here's how it works. Each week, StoryWorth emails your loved one a thought-provoking question that you get to help pick. What was your first job? Who was your first crush? (laughs) StoryWorth makes the writing process a breeze. All your loved one needs to do is to respond to the email prompt with a story. Long or short, it doesn't matter. I did this with my mom, and it was really, really rewarding. You'll be emailed a copy of your loved one's responses as they're submitted over the course of the year. You'll get to enjoy their retelling of the stories, some you probably already know, or maybe the ones that you're surprised by you haven't heard before. (laughs) After that year of fun discovery and reminiscing, StoryWorth compiles your loved one's stories and photos into a beautiful keepsake hardcover book that you'll be able to share and revisit for generations to come. You can even keep a copy of the book for yourself. Give all the moms in your life a unique, heartfelt gift that you all will cherish for years. Story Worth. Right now, save $10 on your first purchase when you go to StoryWorth. 
storyworth.com slash manners. That's storyworth, S-T-O-R-Y-W-O-R-T-H dot com slash manners. It's manners with an S to save $10 on your first purchase. And now back to our show. Our first question is titled Rocky Rain Check? Question mark. Hello, Lizzie and Dan. Thank you for hosting such a wonderful podcast. It has helped me learn to be more mindful of how I act on a day-to-day basis and how I treat others. Several years ago, there was a young man in our church who was going through a difficult time. One Sunday after service, my mom invited him to go out to lunch with our family, her treat. He wasn't able to go due to a prior commitment, but he thanked my mom and said he would take a rain check. A few weeks later, he overheard us tell some other friends where we were going to eat. He walked up to my mom and told her that particular restaurant sounded great and he was ready to take advantage of that rain check. It felt like he was asking my mom to buy him lunch, which she was still happy to do, but it caught us all by surprise. Of course, this happened a long time ago. There are absolutely no hard feelings between anyone in my family and this individual. But it popped into my head, like random memories often do, and got me thinking, what exactly is the etiquette behind a rain check? I haven't used the phrase much, if at all. I just realized I don't know much about it, and I'm curious what your thoughts might be. Thanks in advance. Best regards, rain check. Rain check, thank you for the question. I don't know the origin of it, but I do know that my mother used to say it. It's something that I used to hear oh, oh. growing up. Right. Lizzie Post, I, I kinda, help us out. I, I believe I know the origins of rain check. And it started when, I, I think, I think, and I'm not, I have not Googled this. This is spur of the moment, in the moment, no research done. But I think I recall that it started with baseball games and that you got uh-huh. a rain check if the game had been rained out so that you got to attend either the makeup game or, you know, what, whatever happened to make up for the postponement due to the rain. Um, in other words, your ticket wasn't dead and it was called a rain check. And so you, I think it, it started with kind of America's pastime and sporting events and bad weather. And Makes then perfect sense. Moved on to become a very social thing. Some people, like our listener, rarely ever use the phrase, and other people use it all the time. And I find that uh, like rain checks are kind of a funny thing. Sometimes people are really good about kind of upholding them and making sure that they they make good on a rain check. And other times it's like a a good way to say we had good intentions, but it kind of never then materializes. I definitely have noticed something similar that the way that I used to hear it used, it was a way to essentially say to someone, oh, I I can't make it, but I'd love to do it. And I and I want to affirm that I would love to be asked to do it again. Oh, I can't make that. Can I take a rain check is the way that I've often heard that as opposed to I can I give you a rain check? And I was curious right off the bat whether you're used to thinking of that as something that a host says or something mm-hmm. that the guest says or the person who's doing the inviting versus the person who's been person I, who's been asked. I tend to hear the person who's been asked have to say, oh, I can't do it then. Could I take a rain check? 
but you're asking to take a rain check. You're not telling someone, yeah, give me a rain check. You know what I mean? And I think that it is really nice, Dan, when the host is the person to um, remember the rain check because the host is the one who offered. Yeah. And especially in this case, the one who offered to take someone out. And you just don't want to catch a host at a moment. Maybe it's a, a, a week. And in, in this particular situation, I'm not seeing that necessarily since these folks were going to go out to lunch. But you don't want to catch a host in a moment where maybe it's a, a week where finances are a little tight and going going out to lunch would be a stretch this week, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so there can be a bit, bit of a back and forth between how and, and when the rain check actually gets um, – used i guess is the way to say it which is a strange thing because it's like usually you would cash a check it's something that you could trade in and get the thing but it doesn't really work that way in practice it doesn't so it's not a perfect metaphor it isn't it isn't it's a it's a it's a phrase that we use to basically say i'd love to take you up on this offer when we're both able and I do think it's really nice for the host to be the person to reach out for this particular situation. I don't see what the person did as appropriate. They overheard a conversation. They were not invited to this lunch. I I don't think of it as the right move. And I also think that it seems like the way it all played out and hearing that there's no ill will between my family and this person, that it all worked out fine. But I completely sympathize with and understand why these folks would feel like, oh, my gosh. I also would say that it probably would have been good the next week to check in with this gentleman after service and say, hey, I know we weren't able to go to lunch, but I I did make the offer and I wanted to make sure you had the opportunity to, you know, pick a day that does work for you. And I think that that would have been a really nice way to, as the host, handle it from the get-go. That way you're not leaving someone hanging, kind of wondering whether or not that rain check is ever going to get cashed, I guess, as you put it. But Dan, my other thought is that among close friends, I actually think this is a much looser structure. Mm -hmm. And I would, I'll be honest, and you can tell me if you'd be offended, cousin, but I'd have no problem being like, hey, Dan, we said we were going to rain check sledding the other day. Is this weekend a better time for it? You know, like, and it's your invitation because you've got the major sledding hill, but it's me checking in with you about something we said we wanted to do together and asking whether or not this is a good time rather than telling you this Saturday works for me to cash in that rain check. Like your rain check isn't for you to write the exact date and time of the thing that's, that's going to be cashed in upon. I'm now wanting to write a rules for rain checks article, but I know, right? um, <laughs> I, I'm so glad you got to this point because it's the one that I was hoping to resolve on as well. Oh, cool. That I don't think it's inappropriate to follow up if someone has said, Something to the effect of, oh, t- t- take a rain check on this offer. We'll do it some other time if you mm-hmm. can't make it. Yeah. Um, that you would loop back and say, oh, this weekend happens to be free. I would love to do that thing that you had asked me if I wanted to do. Yeah. And and the difference between the asking and the assuming that you're invited is the, the big difference for me from an etiquette perspective. I think it's but a I don't really think it's a, a limitation. Yeah. <laughs> no, that was a really, really good distinction of the difference. And in the end, the thing that I think is really important to keep in mind is that this is all the host guest dance. Yeah. And maybe it's been attenuated and extended a little bit. But as long as you sort of keep both of those roles in mind and remember your 
thank you so much for the offer at the end, you're going to be in really good shape. Whether you have to rain check it once or whether that rain check never comes back around or whether there are a couple of check-ins between the issuing and the cashing of the check. Well, and you definitely want to say thank you if if that check actually gets cashed. If you go to that luncheon, you say, gosh, thank you so much. I really, really appreciate you making this happen. Um, Always, always good as well. Rain Check, thank you so much for giving us a chance to explore this very common turn of phrase. Yeah, if you don't understand a rule, find out why the rule was made. If you really know why, then it will probably make sense. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Our next question is about masks and talking with deaf people. Hello, Lizzie and Daniel. I have an etiquette conundrum. If someone in the same room as me is wearing a mask that says I am deaf on it, how do I respond if we make eye contact? Do I initiate a conversation and ask if they can understand me or ask them if they need someone to sign for them? Please help. Thanks. Anonymous. Anonymous, thank you so much for the question. And this is a really good point of awareness for all of us that when masks first came out and especially like cloth masks and and not the visors that a lot of people wear that are clear and see-through, that it it really did create less accessibility for a a decent portion of our population. And that that is uh, something to be really aware of. I wanted to start this question by just saying that the fact that it's even been asked is a really great reminder of why it's both a good idea to learn some basic American Sign Language, as well as to consider getting yourself a mask that has a sort of one of those clear panels or a clear mask. I'm thinking, again, like of the clear panel that's just around the mouth. And I know yeah. that they can look a little different now that we're all used to like the, the cloth masks, you know, but that this makes a huge difference to people who can lip read or who, who rely on lip reading. And that this is one way that you just in your everyday life going out into the public world can help make that world more accessible to other people. In terms, well, Lizzie Post, yeah. can I interrupt also just yeah, very briefly please. to say we have a very popular article on our website that is instructions on the magic words in American Sign Language. Oh, and good, good reminder. It's a definitely a place to turn to to start that sort of learning my basics, my hellos, goodbyes, and pleases and thank yous in in sign and in so, American Sign Language. And of course, the problem is if you start signing and then you can only you know it's, it's if you can only get so far with the whole conversation but at least um at least it gives you a few things to do that are are helpful and inclusive from what i can tell from reading a few articles online most of 
the deaf community will use their phones to start communications. And you can do this too if you see someone who's wearing a mask that typing something out on your phone and then showing it to the person can be a really quick way to be able to begin communication in a way that both of you are going to be able to, to access that communication. Of course, that's dependent on both people having a phone, pen and paper, pencil and paper is the next best thing. But often people who are deaf are going to have experience interacting with the world of people who can hear a lot of it. And so they often have a, a go-to first move that they'll make to be able to communicate and be able to interact with you. But I think that starting out with going for some form of, of written communication of how may I help you or how may I best assist you once you've made that eye contact. I also think giving a nice little wave when you do make eye contact is also a way to show that you're engaged and it's not just like accidental eye contact that might be another thing to to consider i was thinking about that moment also okay and it, sort of for me personally i lean into that idea that you shared that that someone who's deaf is going to have a lot more information a lot better idea of how to communicate effectively how to how to navigate that than i would i really appreciate some of your suggestions like learn some sign language think about how you might show your mouth so that you are more easily understood. But I was imagining that moment before you've crossed that divide of being aware that you're aware of each other. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. that for me, the reminder that speaking isn't going to be enough necessarily for someone to right. know that you're trying to get their attention because your your mouth is likely obscured or it might be and they can't hear you. So doing a physical gesture like a wave or making that more intentional eye contact that you talk about where you really let your gaze and your attention turn to someone in a way that says I'm engaged with that you has a, a questioning yeah. look to yeah. it exactly like a, a, I'm, I'm open to engage quality that that's to me in many ways the most critical moment that of that availability and that that effort that goes beyond just saying something behind a mask. One thing that was pointed out in one of the articles that I thought was really important for the hearing community to recognize and be aware of is that if someone does write something down and show it to you, the rudest thing that uh, people who are hard of hearing or people who are deaf are experiencing is someone who just reads that message and then ignores it completely. And either, you know, walks off or doesn't engage or or something like that. So please make sure that if, if someone does reach out to you in writing or tries to communicate with you in that way, that you, you do not ignore it, that you acknowledge it. Um, and it seems like something that shouldn't even need to be said. But when I read in the article what this person's experience was like using their phone as a way to communicate and having people just dismiss it. Mm -hmm. it, it made me really upset. So please, number one thing, if you are a member of the community who can hear is just do not ever ignore someone who is trying to communicate with you. I think probably a good rule in general, but there could certainly be added confusion, particularly when we start to cover up our faces. Anonymous, thank you so much for this question. You brought an area of etiquette to the show that we really appreciate, and we hope our answer helps. Our next question is titled, Baffled at Season Seat Behavior. 
Hi, Dan and Lizzie. I need your advice. My husband and I enjoy his parents' season tickets to our alma mater's home basketball games. And I have to say, I kind of wish we knew which, which school the alma mater was. For the last 20 years, they've purchased four tickets. And due to various reasons, this year, they're not able to attend all the games, often leaving two seats open if we aren't able to find friends to join us. Occasionally, fans with seats not as close as ours filter down and try to fill them in. This week, some season pass holders in our same row sneakily brought down a middle-aged man and child. Before I knew it, their two young kids scooted down into our seats, and the kids looked at me to move my coat. I didn't move my coat initially. The kids kept looking at me as their parents were telling them to get into this, to move into the seat next to me. So I said to the seven-year-old girl, oh, you want to sit in my seat? Yeah, I guess you can. I promise I said it kindly, even though she didn't say a peep in return. I was a bit annoyed as we would have happily, okay, maybe just not super happily, <laughs> allowed the children to sit there since we weren't using the seats. But I'm bothered by the fact that the adults didn't even acknowledge us or bother to ask if these were our seats. We don't know these people, and I wonder if they just thought the seats weren't ours. I really wanted to say something to the man as they walked out. Perhaps something like, I'm glad you could bring down extra friends to enjoy the game up close, but next time I'd appreciate you ask us if you'd like to use our seats. But I didn't say that. Partly because they are my father-in-law's tickets, and partly because I was over it by the end of the game. And also partly because it was just serving as a coat holder and denying them Ooh. really makes me feel selfish. So here's my question. What would you have done in the moment? And what would you do if they try it at the next game? Thanks, bitter and confused basketball fan. Dan... Is this when we say we are we are we are so sympathizing with this? We are season ticket holders. <laughs> this is where I have to remind myself that we we only have a certain amount of time to answer a question because I feel like I could go on for a whole show about this one. Right, like season season. Oh my gosh, season ticket experiences are definitely a thing that we could have yes. a whole postscript etiquette segment on, yeah. <laughs> the etiquette of season's tickets, there are so many layers of things going on. You're borrowing someone else's tickets. When you're talking about tickets that someone's held for 20 years, those might be 20-year relationships that they have with the people sitting around them. It, not yeah. guaranteed, but it's possible. There's the added layer of there are seats that are unoccupied. Not every seat is taken. And... I just find all of those layers really interesting. On top of that, you've got someone who's sort of testing the borders of what's okay, but they're doing it through their kids. They're sending yeah. their kids out to do it. <laughs> I know. Yeah, this is your note that said kids do the go do the go do the dirty work. Kids, you go go get that seat. <laughs> and it's an effective tactic, and it's so wrong. <laughs> That I, 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 when I hear bitter and confused, our question asker does not sound bitter or confused to me. But if there was a hint of bitterness, if, if our question asker was confessing to a part of them that I often feel inside myself, that not most generous part, it for me would have been stirred by that moment where 
the parents aren't engaging with me and all of a sudden the, their children are, are asking me for an accommodation but aren't really even equipped to do it, don't exactly know what they're asking, don't really understand the situation. Or like Arnie, I love that you said and aren't equipped to do it. Like a, a seven-year-old looking up to a, 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 a you know, fully grown, well-established yes. adult, gener- maybe a generation or two older than them. It's like that's a really tough position to put a little kid in. Like, And it, it leads me to say I, I don't think I would have handled it much differently <laughs> that in the moment because those oh as the person not as the parent i'm like as the no. parent i know you would have handled that differently guys <laughs> in fact i have now negotiated this exact situation in a number of different ways but no as as the person being uh i don't want to say confronted with that but where that's the yeah, situation that you're it. you're dealing with I, I think that you this our question asker did the best they can that you don't i think so too. take it out on the kid no you don't definitely not yeah. stir something up with someone else in that section over the use of some seats that were otherwise unoccupied um mm-hmm. and for me i think a, a lot of that has to do with the fact that those tickets are tickets you've borrowed so that mm-hmm. and and I see the awareness of that, and that when you've borrowed something, your sense of ownership, control, and the degree to which you're going to advocate around it is different than mm-hmm. than if it's something that's that's really yours, and you get to make all those subtle judgment calls yourself. It's funny. I really identify with the the moment where bitter and confused basketball fan says, "They are my seats. I was using them for my coats." And I feel selfish doing that when, you know, a couple of kids could sit there and be much closer to the game. Mm-hmm. I, I really I, I personally resonate with that a lot because on the one hand, they are your seats. It's super convenient at these games to have a place to put a big bulky winter Just coat. a little or extra submit, room. Like a little extra room, even especially during, you know, a pandemic. I think that it's it's I can see so much of the desire to just be like, those are my seats. And even if they're not being used, they really aren't for other people to just fill in. I know at the UVM hockey games, they actually have people watching the Mm -hmm. reserved sections to prevent this very thing from happening. I know that I've often been the the single ticket holder. You know, I don't don't go with someone to the game and my seat is open. And whether I do a little and I never really liked the term, but uh, man spreading, I believe, was it where it's like, you know, I make myself a little bit bigger so that no one tries to come sit next to me. Elbows um, out. <laughs> yeah, right. Or that jacket next to me type of thing. I would probably very much so if someone came to sit down next to me, I'd be willing to move my coat for them. But I would I would feel also not badly letting them know these are our reserve seats as well. My father-in-law isn't here tonight, so you, you can sit here, but just wanted to let you know that this isn't like open seating. And I think that that can get someone at least a little bit. And again, I would not direct that at the seven-year-old child next to me. I would direct that straight at the parents who have tried to ignore the situation, um, just to be really clear with them that they are filling in for seats that that might not be available or that someone might come halfway through the game and tell you to move. 
also not a big deal if someone comes halfway through the game and tells you to move. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like that, that can happen too and be really easy. I've certainly come down to my tickets having been late to a game and seen two kids sitting in my seat and I say, I'm sorry, but these are my tickets. I'm the ticket holder and they move and go away. I'm always a little annoyed when it happens because it's not supposed to happen. You're not supposed to take reserved seats. But when it does happen, it's really not a, a huge deal. It's, it's not something to like glower at someone over, glare at them. I don't know if glower is even a word, but it's not something that you need to glare at or give someone attitude over, you know? And I think that can be the hardest part of this particular moment is finding the graciousness within yourself to be like, they may not realize these are reserve seats and to use that type of attitude in any type of communication you decide to engage with, you know? Oh, I'm sorry. I don't know if you're aware these are actually reserved seats. Um, might get them to move the kids over to the other side of them, you know, or it might be that they they sit in a group, you know, um, one row up, one row down from each other or something like that instead. But I also I, I commend you for being the type of person who would move your move your coat and let a kid sit there knowing full well that those two seats would not be used and just not not have it be a big deal. I so like your point about letting go of that judgment in your own mind. I the rules that, part of me. <laughs> well, and, and it's clear that our question asker got there. By the time the end of the, the game had arrived, the, the feeling of eh about that moment had passed enough that it was easy to let it go as everyone was parting. And I, I, I do want to compliment that, that ultimately you're there to see a game, hopefully have a good time. And that feeling of judgment or that feeling of uh, agree of being aggrieved isn't the feeling that you want to nurture and hang on to that you can mm -hmm. notice it come up but then if possible get back to enjoying the game and that's ultimately going to be best for everyone and because we're talking about seating and we're talking about a, a venue, a, a place that clearly has some kind of management, that sort of thing, if you ever did really encounter an issue or you didn't feel comfortable confronting someone who was sitting in your seats, that is what an usher is for. They ding, are there ding, to ding. help you with those types of things. Um, and it is far better, especially if you aren't feeling like you can control that gracious voice within you and instead you know the other version is going to come out. Go find someone else who's who's a part of the establishment who can deal with it. It might it might feel over the top because a simple hey, you know, like these are actually our seats. Do you mind moving over a bit? Is is perfectly polite and should be easy enough to get the job done. But if for some reason either it didn't get the job done, or for some reason the behavior of the people who had taken over your seats made you feel uncomfortable in some way, that usher is someone that you could lean on to help you with this particular circumstance. Bitter and confused basketball fan, we hope that you are able to enjoy basketball games for the rest of the season and many seasons to come. And thank you so much for bringing us the question. It takes us back to our days at UVM Hockey, Gutterson oh. Arena. <laughs> we are so excited to get back to those, those days next year, hopefully. <laughs> go Cats, go! Go Cats, go! Our next question is delightfully titled, Reader to Writer. Ah. <laughs> Dear Lizzie Dan and the AE team, Thank you all for making such an awesome podcast. I enjoy listening to a new episode each week. I have a question regarding thank you notes. I am a teenager and love to read. 
Recently, the mother of one of my mom's students passed on stacks of my favorite book series to me. I feel very appreciative for this unexpected and generous gift. It seems as though I should write a thank you note, but I'm not sure if I should since I do not know her well. I am also unsure if it would be odd to do so considering that she is the mother of my mom's student. Any advice or feedback you have will be greatly appreciated. Thank you. To read or to write. I love it, Dan. Your notes in this were just, write the note, and then please. (laughs) And I I, I cracked up at that when I read the notes this morning. But I got to say, oh my gosh, you will probably win the best teen ever award in this person's eyes. No promises, but like usually adults are very impressed when young people step up. And, And as a teen, I just think it is really, really great to demonstrate moments when you're willing to take the reins and make adult-like manners moves. Um, I know that it served me well as a teen at times. Uh, When I did it, I always got a lot of that kind of, this was a good thing that you did reflected back at me. I don't even want to call it praise, but just like, wow, I was impressed by that. Or like, that was really cool to get a note from you for that. And and even if it was my lovely godmother who says like, oh my gosh, don't ever send me a thank you note. Please text or call. Like, you know, it was still a, a win in the me stepping out kind of beyond my kid life, I feel like, and acting like an individual with, with other adults. Mm-hmm. And I I see this thank you note as an opportunity for you to read or to write to do this. And I think that that's a it's a it's a it's a good way to go. And it can be so simple. Dear so and so, thank you so much for the stack of books that I received. I was beyond excited. This is one of my favorite series. And you've given me an entire winter's worth of, of reading, which I really love and appreciate. Thank you so much for your generosity. Sincerely to read or write. Well, obviously your real name, but um, but I just think it's such a good move. We can't encourage it enough. Lizzie Post, I love that answer. My initial response had been so direct and brief. Do it, please. (laughs) But I like listening to you sort of reflect on expectations that we have of each other as adults, expectations that are based in very adult concepts and principles like consideration, respect, and honesty. And it's not that teens, adolescents, and kids can't understand those things and can't treat each other those ways, but... But ultimately, the social expectations that we talk about on the show are designed to help fully functioning adults in a fully functioning society. And as an adolescent, as a teen, making the decision to engage in that way really does say something about you. I'm I'm, I'm moved by what you said is what I'm saying. <laughs> and um, I enjoy that 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 perspective. We often talk about how for adults, one of the things that makes behaviors and decisions like deciding to write a thank you note significant is that while they're so appreciated, they're not always expected. And I think the gap between the appreciation and the expectation gets even bigger as Mm -hmm. you descend down your ages into adolescence and, and child years. So assuming those behaviors becomes transformational, it becomes transitional. And we know that people give etiquette books as gifts at big transition moments in life, like graduations. And there's a reason for that. And I think to read or to write is in some ways reflecting that, that that change is, is, is very present in their life. 
Well, I think also it's a moment where I want to say that they're being treated like an adult by another adult. You know, this is like a, a not a close connection to them. And I think it's a it's a it's it's cool. And it's not it's not like somehow this would be terribly different if we were talking about Anisha and and someone was giving her a set like let's say she loved the Berenstain Bear books or something like that. Winnie you know, and someone gave oh her goodness. a set of Yeah, a set of Berenstain Bear books. But I do think that there's something really wonderful about when when a, like I, I just I always loved as a as a, a preteen and a teen when adults would really talk to you like adults and talk to you about yeah. what you liked as if just and maybe not even as if you were an adult but just as if you were going to have an opinion and an interest or something you know what I mean and it's it's really respect that that person is paying you and then this yeah. person added on a, a level of consideration I think it was good that, that you brought sort of the CRH into this one. And I think it's it's just such a beautiful thing to take a moment to recognize that. And it, it, it does. It's like you kind of you, you step into that world. You're having an interaction with this person. You know, part of Tarita Wright's question is this is kind of a distant connection. Is it even appropriate for me to reach out to this yeah. person? Absolutely is. It absolutely is. And this is the start of you having in, individualized. Maybe that's the better word rather than adult, but individualized mm -hmm. interactions with other people in your community. I know when I got my first job at 14, that that was when I really started having my own life in my community that was totally separate from being around and about with my mom or dad or sister. And, and that was a moment where I felt a lot of independence. And for some reason, I see this thank you note and this exchange of the books as, as a moment of independence. But I, I, maybe I'm going too far. But um, I don't think so. But to read or to write, either way that you look at it, I think that this is a great opportunity and consider us very encouraging of this thank you note. Here, this one from Alice made me feel good. I could tell just by reading it that she really liked the present I sent her. Here, listen to this. Thanks a million for sending me the delightful book for my birthday. How did you know I've been trying to borrow that very book for a week? Thank you for your questions. Please send us updates or feedback on our answers to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. Leave a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Or reach us on social media. On Twitter, we are at emilypostinst. On Instagram, we are at emilypostinstitute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette. Just remember, use the hashtag awesomeetiquette with your post so that we know you want your question on the show. If you love Awesome Etiquette, please consider becoming a sustaining member by visiting us at patreon.com slash awesome etiquette, where memberships start at just $1 per month. You'll get an ads-free version of the show and access to bonus questions and content. Plus, you'll feel great knowing that you help keep Awesome Etiquette on the air. And to those of you who are already sustaining members, thank you so much for your support. It's time for our feedback segment where we hear from you about the questions we answer and the topics we cover. Today we have feedback from Marilyn on Runners in episode 375. Hi, love the podcast. I was listening to episode 375 and had a thought about the question where the runner encountered a bit of a condescending comment out on the trails. I have another sample script for responding to such a comment. 
I, too, am a middle-aged runner who doesn't look like a marathoner by any stretch. I get good-for-you comments and sort of sigh because it feels sort of belittling. But in listening to the question and your discussion, I had a thought. It's maybe more about the other people's attitudes about running than anything. Lots of people think running is horrible, hard, and painful, and can't imagine doing it themselves. So when they see me, or the person in the original post, who looks just like them, but is out there motoring along, they're genuinely impressed and say so. I think a better response would be, thanks, I love running, with a happy smile. It gets everything I'd like to convey across in a positive way. I'm going to try it. Marilyn. Marilyn, I love this feedback. Thank you so much for submitting it. I think it is it is the perfect response. This is a great example of adjusting a sample script. I believe part of my answer in this had been copying to the fact that I might say something cheeky like back. I or think like, I remember give, that part. Give a little bit of tude, which is not the thing to do. And I think this answer is the one I wish I could have gotten to because I think that thanks, I love running is just so it doesn't matter whether this is your first run or your hundredth run or mm. your tenth year of running. Just shouting that out to someone as you go by, I think is frankly, in- encouraging to yourself and encouraging to them that this is a an awesome moment for you, you know, and that's I, I, I just I think it's great. I think it's a perfect response. Thank you so much for sharing it. Marilyn, A plus. Thank you so much for this feedback. And thank you for sending us your thoughts and updates. Please keep them coming. You can send your feedback or update to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com or leave us a voicemail or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. Program it into your phone. You'll be more likely to send that text or give us a call and leave a message. It's time for our Postscript segment where we dive deeper into a topic of etiquette. And today we're going to hear an interview Lizzie did with Cassie Lemaire about hosting holiday office gatherings. Often we discuss this from the perspective of attending events, but we wanted to hear from a pro what some hosting tips would be if you're responsible for hosting an office party or the office party. Cassie Lemire is the founder of Cassie Lemire Events in Austin, Texas, where she and her team create personalized, memorable event experiences that foster meaningful connections. And they specialize in meticulous design and production services for corporate, experiential, social, and philanthropic events. Cassie and her team create thoughtfully curated Cassie and her team create thoughtfully curated, highly detailed experiences that really tell a story and excite the senses. And I have asked Cassie here to join us today because I think that while we have on this show talked before about being a good guest at a corporate event, um, say that classic holiday office party that tends to happen this time of year, we haven't talked as much about how to throw a successful holiday office party. And Cassie, your job is doing exactly that. So I just want to say thank you so much for coming on Awesome Etiquette and being willing to talk to our audience. 
Well, it's such a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for inviting me to be a part of this conversation. Tell me a little bit about what you see as the goal of any office party that's meant for employees, because I know they can really range from really big extravagant events to like sometimes just a small dinner party. Yes, absolutely. And I think, you know, where I start is kind of our broader goal Um, at Cassie Lemire Events. We focus on designing events for a life well lived. And I really, you know, I see this focus at the end of the day, when you kind of look back on your life, you're focused on what were those experiences that stuck with you, those memorable moments that you shared. And for a lot of people, their career and their work is a big part of their lives. And so I don't think that the company Christmas party is any exception to that. I think it should be uh, you know, meaningful and memorable. And we often start with kind of these core goals of, you know, thinking about how can we express gratitude and appreciation to the employees and the leadership? How can we foster relationships within the company or organization? And also how can we further company culture initiatives? Because this is a great opportunity to do that. I love that you started off with gratitude because often that party is, it's funny, you know, the the classic kind of cliche of it is people groan about going to the office party. It's like, gosh, we spend 40 hours a week together anyway. Don't we want to not have to then spend our off time with one another? And I think it's a really important piece for hosts to be keeping in mind is that, that this is a lot of times your way of saying thank you to employees. And like you said, creating a nice experience for them because you're grateful that y'all work together and that, that it's, you know, we've gotten through another year together, that sort of thing. Of course. And when done well, you know, that point of view and that um, message should come through. And I think that that's probably the difference that you're seeing with an event where it is <laughs> burdensome, you know, and it's just another thing you have to do and it's not enjoyable versus an event that's planned with intention and has purpose and really, you know, builds an entire experience around what are we, what are those outcomes that we want people to walk away feeling, experiencing. And so when you start from that, then what we do is build an entire experience around those that goals and those, oh, you know, awesome. that purpose. And so I think, you know, that, that does kind of define some of the, <laughs> the experience and the outcomes that you see. And obviously our goal is, is to deliver from that perspective, because I think that's, what's really going to connect with your guests and your audience. Make people actually want to come to the party yes. next year. Too. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's always the, the true mark of success. <laughs> totally. That your guests want to come back. Yes. Um, what do you think are like the, and, and you could give me any number you want, the top three, the top five sort of things that could really help a host when they hire someone like you to work with, or even if they're planning that office gathering on their own, sort of what's your, what's your kind of, uh, top points for direction to point someone in to, to manage this well? I think this is a great topic. So <laughs> thank you for exploring this with me. I think first and foremost, I'm always going to advocate for hiring a professional in whatever capacity gotcha. you have the ability to do so. Um, I think there's a lot of misconceptions around our industry that you have to come to a meeting or come to the table with all of the ideas of exactly what you want and where you want it and what, what it should look like and um, kind of already having that all outlined in order to engage a professional and, and have that support and really 
We see this a lot with our corporate clients, especially, and some of the benefit and value that you're getting from hiring a professional is we can be that um, creative conceptual support for you and do the development work and the legwork to put together what the experience would look like. You don't have to have that all figured out. Um, I mean, that's, that's, that's why you got into the business was so that you could be that portion of, of, of planning for people. Right. It's the part you enjoy and you guys are really good at. And I think that companies often just feel like they have to have that all determined before they bring someone on board. And so there's often a, um, kind of a procrastination or delay or lack of comfort with bringing in someone to help because they feel like they don't have the answers. But I guess to sum it all up, you don't have to have the answers. So I, I really think that often we see as well that company team members are tasked with the responsibility of planning the company party. And they're right. There <laughs> there's employees that are adjacent to events, either marketing or executive assistance and dropped on them is the responsibility now of doing the company Christmas party. And what I would say to that is just, you know, really considering, I, I think companies often think that they're saving money by doing that, but there mm-hmm. is still a resource cost to the company by putting that responsibility on that team member for a few reasons. Right. They're not going to be doing it in their after hours. They're, you know, it's like, or at least I, sh- I say that, and I bet a lot of them end up having to, but right. that you can actually main- keep them kind of on their job and focused on their job rather than the party. Yeah, um, if, exactly. If someone like an event planner is hired for it. Yeah, yeah. You know, it pulls them away from their other responsibilities, which are numerous, you know, and to ask someone to wear multiple hats, there is a, you know, it, it, there's a commitment of time and resources for that employee. We do see that a lot where employees are having to put in additional hours to yeah. execute this. It's likely, unless their their role within the company is to plan events, they're likely not, this is not their expertise. And so there's also a matter of efficiency that it would probably take them longer to plan the event than if you bring in a professional who regularly does this and obviously has a lot of uh, those processes streamlined. So, you know, we see that as well. And then a lot of venues require you to have a professional planner. Okay. That I didn't know that really. Yeah. Yeah. So then what we'll, what we'll run into is a client will have gotten so far down the road planning their event then realize that their venue requires a planner and are scrambling to find someone. And when we inherit an event that's partially planned, Mm -hmm. that's a difficult situation as far as for the entire team to kind of set. Our goal is always to set everyone up for success. And when we're brought in mid pathway on an event that's been planned, we can't really influence and control decisions that are already been made that would impact the outcome of the event. You have to kind of work with what you've already got going right. on. And yeah. again, if, if this isn't your expertise and there's been some decisions made that logistically present some issues or, um, you know, there's a variety of kind of pitfalls that can happen in it's, you know, everyone's well-intentioned, but it's just, if you don't know what you don't know, then there's only so much influence we can provide. So I just think there's a lot of value in engaging professionals early on and um, figuring out what that collaboration can look like. Most professionals are willing to work in, you know, a variety of capacities and scope. I know with corporate, we often are the kind of that bridging that gap and that liaison between the internal team and the outsource partners. Mm-hmm. So that's, I think, first and foremost, something that we see a lot and um, just kind of want to break down some of those misconceptions uh, about, <laughs> totally. about the process. 
So point one is, is definitely consider hiring a professional to help you plan the party if it's sort of within the budgets and everything like that. What are some of the other things that people who get that? And I love how you describe that, by the way, that holiday party that's just been dropped in their lap, <laughs> because I think that really does happen is like, hey, Kenny, can you, you know, can you get on planning something for the holidays for us, please? And it's like, you know, just before Thanksgiving or something right. like that. And hey, you're an employee that's supposed to come enjoy this event, but now you, uh, oh, yeah, uh, no, you, you have, have to, to plan, plan it. it. Plan it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what are some of the other tips that you have? One thing that we look at is how can we make a, an event representative of the company's core principles? And I think okay. it's important to consider you want to be consistent with the, you know, the values and ideals that you're communicating and instilling with your team throughout the year and with your customer base, you want your event to be an extension of that as well. So for mm -hmm. example, if you're a company that prioritizes, let's say sustainability initiatives, the event should have a purpose and further connect and appeal to those interests in the company mission. We see sometimes where there's kind of this formulaic approach to company events and there's certain things that it has to have or what it should look like. But okay, wait, 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 when, let me guess. It's like some sort of a bar, <laughs> <laughs> some sort of hors d'oeuvres. And uh, I think like a lot of a lot of people assume that maybe some kind of entertainment needs to happen. Is it did I am I off entirely? I know I'm not a no, planner. No, you're right. And then probably some sort of like a weird cheesy theme a lot of times okay. and yeah, like, <laughs> totally <laughs> I find myself taking a step back and looking at that and I would encourage you know the company to do the same and think you know what does this really say about our company is it representative of how we conduct ourselves in our you know our business and with our company culture uh, and how can we do something that furthers those goals and so if if you are focused on sustainability then Let's look at the event experience and figure out ways that we can put sustainable practices into into the process, the planning process, yeah. the actual event. How can we use, you know, repurposed materials? How can we yep. ensure that the items that we're using at the event are then, you know, contributed to kind of having a further purpose or use post event? There's a lot of details that we can kind of start with the desired end result and work backwards and make okay. sure that that event is authentic to your brand and, and your company. Um, and also, you know, keep okay, in cool. mind that if your employees are sharing this event on social media, which they likely will, will be, and you have your, your customer base and your audience seeing this, you don't want to have those questions about, wait a second, like these two things, there's like a cognitive dissonance here. You know, they're saying one <laughs> thing, but how doing another, right. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and I think that's important to consider and also what's important to your employees. So for instance, you may think that you're giving them a gift by hosting this event, but if it's not really speaking to their interests and values, then ultimately it's not going to be meaningful to them and they're not going to take away the key messages and the experience that you were hoping to accomplish. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I think it's important to, to really look at your employee base, have an understanding of what's important to them and what it would be something that would be appreciated and, you know, really be a value if they're going to spend their time coming to the event. You know, like you said, some of those decisions that are often uh, at first kind of met with trepidation. Uh, yeah. How can you build something that is really going to be a great takeaway and 
also, again, getting away from the formulaic part of it, if they don't appreciate a dinner in an open bar and, you know, if it's a day, things, yeah. right, if it's a daytime event and you go out and do a, you know, community service project and then you have a picnic afterwards, I mean, oh my gosh, that's a, like, you just totally blew my mind on what, like, I mean, I know it sounds silly because I know company picnics do happen and that sort of thing is kind of a, a, a classic thing, but I hadn't even thought about doing something like that as kind of an end of the year holiday celebration. Right. That's very it's cool. in a perfect time of year to, you know, focus on giving back and, um, you know, making an impact and involving your employees in that. And obviously we know with, um, you know, millennial generation employee base, uh, that's really important to them and, and kind of their sense of satisfaction with their, their position and their um, career. So I, you know, there's a lot of complexity, I think that you can bring into it, not to overcomplicate things, but to make sure that the investment that you're making as a company and asking your employees to do of, of time is uh, really worthwhile. Oh, that's awesome. And one of the things that I love was your point about the broad range of ways to make your party really inclusive and welcoming to all of your employees. Can you speak to that a little bit? When we're dealing with a company event, this is definitely a moment where we want to ensure inclusivity, where we're looking at this, you know, the broad spectrum of the employees and their guests who are going to be attending. Cause likely, oh, yeah, plus one, right? The plus <laughs> totally. one. Um, and thinking about what their interests are, what's important to them, what's going to feel approachable and accessible, Mm -hmm. you know, often with company parties, you're having a wide range of, you know, different teams and positions joining for one celebration. So you want to ensure that it's seems, you know, approachable and not intimidating. I think that that often happens with company events Um, Mm -hmm. is some of the employees just don't have as much of a comfort level with the unknown of what environment they're going to be in and, and kind of the experience depending on, you know, how you build it. So we always try to make things that are very comfortable and accessible for everyone. And, and then also considering making sure that you have options available for all of your guests in, in various walks of life. So one easy example is, you know, when you look at your beverage menu, having zero yeah. proof cocktail options and making sure that they're creative options. It's no longer acceptable <laughs> to have, you know, sparkling water and soda as, you know, the non-alcoholic. The only option. <laughs> I got to say, as someone who doesn't drink very much, and, and often that's because I'm the person behind the wheel trying to mm-hmm. drive home, and I really am very careful about not drinking under those circumstances. I really appreciate when an event has just a pretty drink. I know it sounds silly, but a really good looking drink, it makes me feel more a part of things because when I just have to go get that plastic cup and fill it up from the water Mm -hmm. jug in the corner, everyone immediately knows I'm not drinking. And while they know that about me quite often, it's like, oh, why aren't you? It's a question. And I don't feel like, you know, with that red solo cup, I don't feel like I'm (laughs) sorry to brand it, but I don't feel like I'm a part of the festivities as much as when someone offers up like a cranberry spritzer with a beautiful little piece of candied orange or something on it. And you don't have to go that fancy with it, but like, it, it makes me feel festive when I have that like festive drink in my hand, you know, yeah. I can enjoy comfortably. So I'm, I'm a big fan of that. A big fan of that. To your point, like you want to feel connected to the experience. You want it to, it to be festive and exciting. And 
what a nice surprise to be presented with something that's beautifully, you know, prepared and crafted. And, and there's a lot of reasons why people don't drink. Obviously, you know, a lot of organizations are very diverse and multicultural. So I think, you know, it's important to consider those, um, values and traditions. And then also, um, maybe someone's expecting, or maybe someone's sober curious, or, you know, they're, they're on a wellness journey. There's, a variety of reasons why you don't necessarily want to shine the spotlight on someone or make them feel uncomfortable and, or make them feel different and stand out. So I do think it's, it offers a lot of value to the overall guest experience to have some creative options. And then also we know that uh, company parties are notorious for people imbibing. Yeah. And, you <laughs> the lampshade on the head is like the classic <laughs> image for this particular party. So it never hurts <laughs> to have a few, you know, uh, non-alcoholic options on the menu that are attractive <laughs> so people can pace themselves as well. So I think that's a perfect example. And then also as you're you know, looking at, Maybe you're hosting an event, but you have employees around the country or globally, and not all of them can be present for the in-person portion of the experience. How can you still help those employees feel connected to the occasion? We'll frequently design, you know, special custom gifts or items that can be sent. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah, Yeah. that can be sent to the employees and, and help them feel a part of the experience, even though they may not be able to be there in person. I could imagine that that especially last year and this year, when we are still in this pandemic, could be a really fabulous way to connect people. I hadn't even thought about that, that like being able to send something to those who either don't feel comfortable gathering Mm -hmm. at a bigger gathering, or maybe they didn't meet requirements to be able to gather at a bigger gathering. Um, So much better than just the Zoom. I mean, don't get me wrong. We all love the Zoom link, but it's like, I would say, like, I think that is a, just a brilliant way to kind of keep that connection there. That's really cool. Yeah. You know, you don't want to forget about that, you know, segment of your audience and your employees. And I think bringing the event to them, bringing the celebration to them in some way is really meaningful and will make them feel a part of the occasion. For instance, we have a client we're doing an event for, uh, and a couple of the guests are unfortunately now under the weather and are unable to attend. So we are sending them something for an at-home experience. And I just think that kind of going that extra step really expresses what we talked about earlier about, you know, gratitude and appreciation and, and delivers on those goals. Yeah. It definitely sounds like a fabulous idea to be throwing these kind of office gatherings. And I love all the focus on the intention and really making sure that we are expressing gratitude for the people who attend. How do you think we can encourage or what are some of the benefits that you see for employees to attend? Because I know I know some people are still in that growing right. category and, and it might be because there's a sad cheese tray somewhere in your future. <laughs> but how do you guys as the hosts and as the team getting things ready mm-hmm. really hope to encourage people to come? Well, I think it, you know, goes back to what we were talking about earlier about wanting to engage. This is an opportunity for you to feel that sense of connection, to feel valued. Um, I know that there's a lot of turnover happening right now in various industries. There's a lot of people questioning their careers and their roles. And obviously staffing is a, a huge issue. And so I think both on the attendee side and also on the company side, this opportunity really does reinforce, you know, a chance to build those relationships and to 
connect when we've, you know, maybe been apart or working remotely, um, whatever that might look like for your organization. But I think Priya Parker said it best when, when an event is done successfully, there's this invisible infrastructure in place that ensures that the gathering uh, facilitates guests engagement and it mm-hmm. should appeal to their interests. And that is what we're doing behind the scenes. The scenes, is, yeah. <laughs> is, you know, you don't actually see it and it, and it, if it's done well, it should be very natural and organic, mm-hmm. but there's actually a lot of thought and strategy and planning that goes on behind the scenes to ensure that level of experience. And the other thing that I think it's important to consider for companies and for the individuals who are deciding whether they're going to RSVP yes or not is <laughs> um, something that we mentioned earlier and touched on is the guest. So yeah. the spouse, the partner, the family member who is also behind the scenes providing a lot of contributions and support to ensure the success of your team member or you as as an individual. Um, Over the last few years with everyone working from home and juggling schedules and sharing, you know, tight spaces. And there's a lot that your support system and the circle that around you has, um, you know, sacrificed to support this individual and to further, you know, the success of the employees and the team. So I think thinking about that person too, and even just treating them to a nice, night out or an opportunity to, you know, enjoy a special experience or meal is also something to consider. I know we could all look forward to the chance to connect and and have um, an occasion to get out and celebrate. So I think that that's another detail that's sometimes overlooked on both the employee and the company side that um, people should consider. Cassie, thank you so much for sharing with us your expertise on event planning and more specifically corporate event planning and even more specifically the holiday corporate (laughs) events that happen. It has been delightful getting to chat with you about it. And please tell our listeners where they can find you and be inspired by you. (laughs) Well, I would love for your listeners to engage and we are always looking for ways to inspire and be inspired. So I would say find us on Instagram at Cassie Lemire events. Um, also check out our website and we are featured on, on party slate as well, which is a great place to get inspiration. Oh, cool. uh, but we would love to, to hear from you and, and, you know, continue this conversation around, you know, entertaining in general. It's such a special time of year. It's all, you know, obviously our favorite and yeah. <laughs> with so many occasions and reasons to gather and and to entertain. We're always happy to share our our hosting tips and and our point of view. And we'd love to see everyone's gatherings. And, uh, you know, I know we have a few collaborations in the works as well. And uh, (laughs) we're so excited to collaborate with you and share more ideas and tips for successful gatherings over the holidays. Awesome. Cassie, thank you so much. I really appreciate you coming on the podcast and chatting with us today. Lizzie, thanks so much for that interview, and a big thank you to Cassie for taking the time to come on the show. I know I learned something, and I'm looking forward to the day when Emily Post is hosting office parties once again. We like to end our show on a high note, so we turn to you to hear about the good etiquette you're seeing and experiencing, and that can come in so many forms. Today, we have a salute from Robin. Dear Dan, Lizzie, and the AE crew, 
Thank you for the always excellent podcast. I have been a regular listener since before episode 100. I would like to make an etiquette salute. Get ready, Dan, to Dan Post-Senning. Earlier in the COVID era, you did a show which included options for greetings in the absence of handshakes. I've been partial to the prayer hands, like prayer position, namaste type greeting. On that show, Dan said he likes the Muslim hand over the heart type greeting. As an American woman, I had thought of that as a sexist gesture, thinking of it in the context of men not wanting to touch women to greet them in the same way they would greet another man, i.e. handshake. I have just spent a week in a Muslim country and have now come around to Dan's point of view. I have seen the hand over the heart, sometimes with a slight bow, used as a greeting between people regardless of gender and in situations where a handshake would not have taken place even pre-COVID. I now see this gesture as a greeting of respect and have taken to doing it myself also while in this region. Thank you, Dan, for helping me to keep an open mind and understand the hand over heart greeting as a gesture of kindness and respect as people intend it. Best regards, Robin. That's a great salute. Oh, Robin, thank you (laughs) so much for the salute. And I'm so glad that the advice and the perspective was helpful. And I'm also really jealous that you get to travel and be out in the world and um, to be meeting people right now. Thank you for sharing that. And thank you for listening. And thank you to everyone who sent us something and everyone who supports us on Patreon. Please connect with us and share this show with your friends, family, coworkers, anyone you can, any way you can. <laughs> you can send us your next question, feedback, or salute by email to awesomeetiquette at emilypost.com. You can reach us by phone, via voicemail, or text at 802-858-KIND. That's 802-858-5463. On Twitter, we are at Emily Post Inst. On Instagram, we are at Emily Post Institute. And on Facebook, we are Awesome Etiquette and the Emily Post Institute. Please consider becoming a sustaining member of the podcast by visiting patreon.com slash awesome etiquette. Our memberships start at just $1 per month. You can also subscribe to the ads version of our show on Spotify or your favorite podcast app. And please consider leaving us a review. It helps our show ranking, which helps more people find awesome etiquette. Our show is edited by Chris Albertine and assistant produced by Bridget Dowd. Thanks, Thanks, Chris Chris and Bridget. Bridget.